Welcome to the T-Hunt Bobcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. And we, this is not our, our regularly scheduled event there, Leland. Uh, you are correct, my goodman. This is not. <laughs> we interrupt your, your usual programming for <laughs> important podcast messaging. Beep, beep, beep. This is not a test. This is not a test. <laughs> Jiminy Crickets, that airship is going down in flames. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> That's the air I'm wearing now, right? We suddenly went back to the 1930s. Hey, Leland, did you see that new Felix the Cat in the Nickelodeon? <laughs> Hot damn, I got my ticket for the Hindenburg all ready to go. <laughs> the Hindenburg. Because in 1930s, the cartoon comes out two days after the disaster. Yay! Hindenburg, <laughs> the cartoon! I said it was crashing and it's already animated. Thank you, Walt. <laughs> okay, now that I've just lost my ability to be the founder... Of Disney. You are fired. Yeah, you had to revoke all of your stocks. You will not be compensated. After vote my ten stocks. <laughs> hey, anyways, Leland, what, what are we doing here today, baby? We are here for a bonus episode number fifteen. And uh we have not had a bonus episode since I believe uh it was June twenty first, I think, uh where we had a bonus Resident Evil Village. We summoned Ghost Marty uh for, you know, the millionth time and I think we reviewed Resident Evil 8. Uh, so it's been a while. It's been a while. But usually the bonus episodes are prompted when, one, we have time to do them. <laughs> uh, two, there is a, you know, a topic that we kind of want to discuss to give a spotlight on more, more so than not, right? Rather than, you know, a 30 to 40 minute segment in the main episode, we get a little longer to talk about it. And we have been uh, hurting for some crazy book cardboard stuff. So that's essentially that what true. this, we had a little bonus crazy about cardboard, uh, but kind of what I want to talk about was all of the, uh, the OGL debacle going on with Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast, just to walk through a bit of a timeline of kind of the shit storm that has been happening the past month, and also touch on some like other stuff that WotC in general, Wizards of the Coast in general is, is, is doing. So I know you had said you kind of looked at a bunch of stuff. I did probably the most amount of research that I've ever done <laughs> in five years of uh, the podcast. Wow. <laughs> I've got about awesome. four or five pages of, of uh, this timeline kind of summarized for myself a little bit. So there's going to be, I mean, there's just going to be so many details that you could, like if you were to go out and look at a myriad of videos created by creators in the, in the TGRPG space, you know, as this whole thing was going on, like if you want to find far more detail than what we're going to offer here, you absolutely can. And you would be able to, you know, take a look around the corner uh, and you would find a video about the the OGL. So I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize and hit some of the highs and the lows. Most of them are low points. All right. Start us off. All right. On January 5th, a uh, Gizmodo article written by Linda Kodega kind of purported that uh, they had uh, obtained a leaked document from Wizards of the Coast a new open gaming license for Dungeons & Dragons, dubbed OGL 1.1. The OGL in general, for those unfamiliar with it, the, it allows third-party creators to publish written adventures utilizing the SRD, the Systems Reference Document, for Dungeons & Dragons. That SRD contains uh, various keywords and terms for D&D that are designated a product identity. 
which allows a third-party creator to include them in their creative content, mostly for compatibility with Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Now, uh, the, the immense success of 5th edition, which is the current edition, can really be attributed to this third-party content throughout the decade that 5e has been operating, or close to a decade. By the time the next edition comes out, it'll be about 10 years. So keep that in mind as the outrage uh, from the community uh, kind of has been flaring uh, because of that. But this OGL 1.1 was apparently a draft, but according to uh, Linda Codega, it was about as close to a finalized legal document that you could get without, you know, putting a pen to paper to sign it kind of thing. And it came in at about 10 times the length of the Open Game License 1.0a, which is what you would currently publish like a fifth edition work under the old license. It deauthorized that 1.0a, uh, which would admit, would mean that every third-party publisher at the time that had published something under it would have to update all of their products to conform to the new 1.1, uh, should they choose to sign it, or discontinue selling under 1.0a. It had 25% royalty fees for projects that make over $750,000, they had a no, uh, negotiated rate of only 20% if those projects were raise, raising money through Kickstarter. And now that's the, that percentage is on the qualifying revenue. So it would be dollar value above $750,000. So that's that really only would have affected like a very, very small percentage of creators. Like the big names, like the Critical Role, the Dimension 20. Like the people that, again, have had have been the ones leading the charge uh, and are really the driving force behind just how successful 5th edition has been to date. It also includes things like WotC being able to modify and just terminate an agreement with any creator with 30 days of notice and uh, essentially gave them claim to whatever content was created under that license to be able to take and publish as their own. Yeah. All of that only applied to like written printed material. Um, so that kind of excluded digital creations for like VTTs and stuff. So immediately everyone's in an uproar, right? I mean, the, the OGL 1.0 a, it was created in the year 2000. So it's, it's pretty old and it's very open-ended, right? Uh, there's later in the story, we'll get to some points where it's just old enough where it, they couldn't have had the foresight to explicitly cover in its language the direction that Watsi clearly wants to take. Right. So all of that you were familiar with from from what you kind of looked up and... Uh... That is true. Yes. Okay. So after this article, this Gizmodo article came out about the leak, that was the 5th. I think about on, on January 10th or 11th, I think it was the actual 1.1 full document release where you could actually read it and 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 find it yourself. But I mean Watsi was radio silent for like eight full days with zero comment about it. Uh in that time included a, a number of canceled streams from the DD Beyond team because of the backlash. I mean I don't blame them for canceling those streams. Without an official statement, there's no way they would <laughs> they would get into a live platform where people can just yell at them and yell at People that aren't make the ones making the decisions uh, is the other side of that, right? On January 12th, uh, Paizo, the creators of D&D's largest competition, Pathfinder, they announced the creation of a neutral open RPG creative license, or ORC, as they did. Of course they did. 
so Paizo themselves, they they publish under the OGL 1.0a as well, even though it's kind of a, a competing system. Its roots are really from like third and 3.5 edition. But, uh, you know, as the years have gone by and they've been operating as kind of their own thing, they're into their second edition now and they have uh, like a sci-fi set theme, like Starfinder. Their need to conform to the OGL, it seems like it's lessened further and further. So, and that's that's like from their own words and kind of in, in their own statement, essentially saying, you know what, we're, we've grown beyond this now. We can support ourselves without it. We don't need this and we don't want any part of this new 1.1 that Watsi is trying to push down everyone's throat. So, of course... Everyone is ecstatic about Orc, uh, it, which is apparently going to be the, a system agnostic document for independent creators to utilize. Publishers like flock to it immediately. Obviously, the license isn't created or finalized yet, but uh, last number I saw, they had well over 1,500 publishers pledging their support for it and essentially signing like, yes, we would love to create under this. Also, what Paizo has done is they've they're going to hand over the Orc to... Azora Law, which is, I think, a law firm associated with Paizo, or they, they've used this law firm uh, in their own business dealings before. But the point of it is to try, try to have this neutral party with no monetary stake in the content generated under license to oversee the license and make sure it doesn't get changed or tampered with or influenced by a corporation with you know, monetary investments in it like we're kind of seeing with Watsi. Because in that OGL 1.0a, it actually explicitly states in it that it is like irrevocable, like that like, it cannot be deauthorized, which is exactly what Watsi is trying to do. In the same time, I think it, it might have been like the day or the day after that announcement, uh, Kobold Press and MCDM, both like third party uh, fifth edition content creators and supplement creators, they both announced that they're going to be each developing their own system. Uh, their own fan like fantasy role play system as well. So like all of this has just spurred a whack load more of competition that wasn't in the market before all of this. Like literally last month, none of this shit was existed, and now Wizard of the Coast have again a kind of similar what happened with Paizo in the fourth edition era. History is repeating itself, and now they're literally feeding their competition everything that they need. <laughs> like it's. Yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. When I looked up videos on it, one of the first videos that appeared on my feed because I subscribed to the guy, his name is Legal Eagle. So he's kind of like a really personable dude, gets in on geek culture things from a legal perspective. So he had tackled this exact topic. And what was interesting is, and I think you may... I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not, but his what he was saying is basically like everything was unnecessary because at the end of the day, from a legal perspective, you can't trademark a process and board games are a process like you could trademark Monopoly, a board game that's, you know, named Monopoly, even the board and the colors of Monopoly. That's the exact uh, example this guy used. But he's like, the process itself of building some sort of dwelling and collecting rent off it in a board game where you go around and around, you can't trademark that. So what he said is that there's a fundament, there's fundamentally poor legal advice going on at Wizards right now that's telling them this document's out of date or, you know, 
tighten it up and do this because at the end of the day, it's unnecessary because you couldn't trademark a process <laughs> and whoever wizard sues is going to lose in court. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that was a great video uh, from legal legal. I also subscribed to them. He had Matt Colville on from MCDM yes. to share his comments as well uh, in that video. And I mean, he also said in it that from his interpretation, like you don't even really, you don't even need to use the SRD, meaning you don't need any, you don't need to do have anything to do with the OGL at all to be able to develop a system or, or a supplement that is compatible with fifth edition, right? Right. Or, or the, the world's greatest role-playing game, right? So, yeah. So I've also heard, I've also heard to the contrary, however, though, uh, as again, the myriad of, of, of creators and, and, and people talking about this, we're just one in a drop of a bucket now, right? So I don't know. I think that it, it is really interesting. And I mean, they have the, that problem arises all the time in the board game sphere. Uh, there's been a number of cases of knockoffs being created that, again, use game mechanics, exact game mechanics, uh, but the rulebook need, would need to be rewritten. The name is different. The aesthetic is, but it's literally there's just two, there's two of the exact same game with a different theme slapped on, but you can't do anything about it. Like we hit that problem all the time. Often it happens with Kickstarter projects. They'll get the uh, Kickstarter project will come along and, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll probably fund because they would set a low goal goal for it, knowing that, you know, they're ripping off another game, but then suddenly someone in the know finds it and highlights it. And then everyone is like, what is going on here? This is clear. And you can just see the social media threads and you can, Look into it yourself, right, and just see how much of a knockoff Project A was over Project, you know, one, right? Yeah, yeah. All of this, though, has caused a, a, a large, essentially a boycott on, on D&D. One, the D&D movie that comes out in March is, is, you know, there's a planned boycott for that. I'm not sure how it's going to affect it. But really what, uh, what seemingly has had the biggest impact is a mass exodus of D&D Beyond subscribers canceling those subscriptions. Right. Apparently, they had enough people doing it at one time that it actually crashed D&D Beyond. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So considering how many users are probably simultaneously using that platform and it runs fine, right? Like That's a lot of, a lot of things happening to crash that site. So obviously, like I had... I, could not find, and I doubt it's out there, any values of, or even an estimation of the number of canceled subscriptions in, in the last month and like a monetary value on that because Watsy's going to have those numbers and they're not going to be giving those numbers to anybody. So I don't know how much of an impact it has, but seemingly it caused them to finally break their radio silence. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, did they not, uh, did they not release a another new revision basically mostly flipping back to the uh, old rules or am i did, did i get that correct i thought they made a clarification you are correct you're we're get, we're a little ahead of the story okay. that's kind of near to the end of the oh, time okay so you don't want to jump there yet well on january 13th watsy finally broke the silence and they put out I I don't know who I don't know if it had a, a a a name attributed to it like some of the later communications, but it was essentially a, a post. Ironically enough, on D D Beyond, so like I had to chuckle at that because like the people that are canceling their subscriptions, 
<laughs> like they're not going to see it, you know, until it gets circulated on social medias, which is funny. But essentially it said, okay, we heard everybody bitching. We rolled a one. Yeah. We'll make some changes. But many of you will say that we lost and you won. That isn't the case. We all actually won. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. the It didn't go over very well with everybody. That's so cheesy. They're just keeping on putting their feet in their mouth. Yep, yep. They they continued to, to dig the hole that they were in, yeah. Although, it took until, I think it was five days later, another statement, uh, a seemingly more personalized statement, that was, according to it, written by Kyle Brink, who is, uh, who is he's an executive producer. On January 18th, Kyle, he wrote this, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a straight-up apology, also clarified some things about the 1.1 draft, saying that 1.0a material would remain under that OGL. DM like DMs Guild supplements published there. They they're under their own kind of agreements, uh, and that creators would own their own contact with no license, their own content with no license back requirements. So he addressed a number of questions like the community had been posing since the leak, essentially. Though the most important thing, though. Uh, he announced that the, the new OGL would be put out to the public for the consumers to review and submit feedback directly to Wizards of the Coast in a, in the same method and platform that they are currently doing with one D&D playtest material, which is the next edition, saying that they value the community's feedback, they want it all to be this collaborative process now, and how badly they screwed up. Following day... Kyle posts again announcing that the core DD mechanics will be given will be given to the community, he says, through a Creative Commons license, which allows creators to share and copy those core mechanics in any medium or format forever, according to, to Kyle. But to use that kind of that uh, quintessential DD stuff from the SRD, you would need to sign under the OGL 1.2 now, which was put out to the public. And a lot of people read it. You can submit, you can go find it now. I believe you can still submit a survey on it about what you do and don't like. And by all accounts, it definitely went over, went over better with the community. Like you, you had said, it, it, it rolled back a lot of what 1 PM 1.1 had said. Many of those problem areas that were changed or at the very least, the language used around them were, were softened. There's still a number of issues though, that people had with many of the clauses. The top of the list uh, being a class action waiver if you were to sign this OGL, which, you know, allowing Wansi to take legal action against creators individually without other industry folks who would be affected by the same ruling to aid in that legal defense. Those lawsuits would also be governed by the state of Washington, a.k.a. Watsi's kind of home turf. You'd waive the right to a jury trial, so overseen by a judge again in Watsi's backyard. I mean, you can see kind of the implications. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe any of those practices are anything new or out of the ordinary, though, for like a licensee agreement. Like, I think that's also standard practice. Just say, yeah, no, as far as I understand, it's the same. Like that as far as the licensing agreements go, it would be very similar to that typically. But anyways, continue on. I mean, this whole time around, a lot of this ODL stuff, there's been the talk from like the response from Watsi kind of in that original you know, pompous response where they said they rolled a one and ah, we all won here. 
they've they've started this narrative of them tr- the their driving force behind 1.1 and how harsh it was was to give them more control at, over preventing harmful and hateful material being published oh, under their wow. They pulled that card. They did. Ugh. That's so stupid. And, and I hope because, you know, I know the LGBTQ um, plus community is strong in board gaming. You know, I would hope that after that statement by Wizards, they come on publicly, whether it's forums or videos, and call a crock of shit on won't see for that. Uh, do you know if that's happening at all? I mean, I don't know of any specifics as far as uh, groups within the community, but like the entire community, like Wasi isn't fooling anybody, right? Like everyone is seeing through their bullshit. I don't, I don't think after this, like a large, large majority of the community will never trust Watsi again. It's going to take a ton to earn back any of the good faith that they've been building in the last decade. Now, 1.2 had a very open-ended clause, which makes Watsi the sole arbiters over what constitutes harmful material. Hmm. So they would get to dictate whether or not your supplement that you've created that, I don't know, maybe it's more on the M-rated side. Well, we believe this is harmful. We are revoking your license and you no longer can sell this. Now, is that going to be harmful to consumers? Is that going to be harmful to Watsi's brand and their image? Like, that's the problem. Yeah, it. it's it's unlimited power. Like, in one sense, I get why they want to retain that as a corporation. But in the other sense, it could completely be abused. Like, I mean, come on. Since the beginning of when Dungeons & Dragons was made, even in the earliest days, a lot of the custom campaigns got pretty risque. They're, 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 I, I found some sketchy stuff over the years looking it up, which is fine if, you know, that's how these people want a game. But that was always permitted. And what you're basically saying now is that under that guise, like, oh, it's, you know, 2023. We don't want to have, you know, these vampire succubi or whatever in this. I mean, whatever they wanted to pull, they could just say, well, that's offensive. Right? Like, don't they have that power now? That would That is how 1.2 is written, absolutely. And obviously, being able to control whether or not you know, like hate speech things make it into things that are being sold. Like that's important, but yeah, it's more, you're, you're correct. It's like, it is literally written for absolute power for Watsi. I mean, there's plenty of, like you say, erotic adventure modules out there that is, is like really just like sexy fanfic, right? Like, is that considered offensive or harmful? Again, harmful to Watsi's image. So the main sticking issue though for the community continues to be the deauthorization of OGL 1.0a. Essentially, the people want, I mean, everyone's calling for the ability to continue to produce 5th edition content under 1.0a, even after like 1D&D comes out, and just have 1.2 applied to solely 1D&D, that edition. Which I think is a ridiculous ask, for one thing. I'm like, okay, obviously I disagree with all of what's happened so far, and I'm, you know, it's just as dirty. I feel like it's just as dirty as everyone else does, right? A disappointed Watsi, just as just as much as everyone else is. But I think this particular point, it just seems ridiculous to me because this that is seems like the most easiest way, the surefire way for Watsi to shoot themselves in the foot even more and kill one D and D and stifle its growth the second it's released. 
Like that's would be essentially the opposite of what they've done with the fifth edition. So that's what confuses me about that and how people can expect both of these OGLs to be operating at the same time. That really boggles my mind. I don't understand how people can expect that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm missing something. Like, what do you think? No, I mean, I well, it just sounds like anytime you have documents that complex, if you have them overlapping, there's just it's just rife for miscommunications, misunderstandings. It's clumsy. I mean, this this whole thing just makes Wizards look bad, and it's tough because I know we're talking specifically about the situation, but you know what I want to kind of know is context, and I don't know if you know what's been going on with Wizards the last few years that you want to comment on that has led us to this point. Certainly I have some thoughts on magic, which obviously, you know, play much more than D and D. Um, and I've seen how magic, in my opinion, has been mismanaged, but like, like how do we get here with wizards and just, they almost feel like a different company. They, they, they feel like they're producing some of the same old games and stuff, but it's just kind of lost all its heart. Hello, listener. This is Leland from the editing room. And I wasn't sure where to insert this uh, because there was some uh, updated news that occurred after we had recorded this episode. So quite obviously it wasn't included in my timeline. But I feel on the heels of Moby's comment about kind of Watsi being seen as the corporation that it, it really is, right? And always has been, quite frankly. Um where where did the the heart go and where did the enjoyment of these games that they're creating go perhaps this news will temper your thoughts on whether or not uh that sort of love for the hobby and the people in it is, is still exists I mean, I mean undoubtedly it does with the vast majority of the employees which is the coast of uh, clearly right and obviously the actions of a, a company uh, whether or not it is a, a multi-million and billion dollar corporation or not uh, is never quite a reflection on every single employee that works there, obviously, right? That's why hier- <laughs> that's how a hierarchy uh, functions. Anyways, as of January 27th, Wizards of the Coast has announced that uh, the OGL 1.0A will not be revoked. It will remain as is. And... Essentially, everything is going to be in Creative Commons license. The the SRD, uh, so so they're c- complete one eighty from <laughs> what they wanted to do. It seems like uh, it appears that all of uh, the 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 D Beyond subscriptions, you know, as we've covered, and the the community outrage and all the feedback they've been receiving, uh, of which they did give numbers and like percentages of satisfaction and dissatisfaction based on those surveys of which you could uh, certainly find yourself if you'd like to look at the rundown on them. But it appears that <laughs> that we won. I don't know. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I don't, I'm not sure that uh, this news really changes. I don't think it, it, it modifies any of uh, our opinions that we've expressed so far, at least uh, speaking on my own behalf. I can't speak for Moby, obviously. Because uh, a lot of what comes next, uh, you'll hear about their digital side and what they're going to, what they want or have planned. Who knows if any of that, uh, which again, you'll hear, you'll hear in the next few minutes here of the episode, whether or not that s- still jives with 
the OGL being fine now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's all, it just feels like the whole last month. And now by extension, this entire episode is, <laughs> it was a waste of time. It was a waste of everybody's time. Like, look, look at this, all this effort. <laughs> I suppose the only thing that is not a waste of time is being able to show uh, how much actual power, I don't want to say power seems like a weird word to use, but influence that a community has over over something like this, right? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, to me, it's like akin to writing in petitions for like a canceled show, you know, uh, or like after Game of Thrones season eight, where hundreds of thousands of fans signed petitions for them to remake season eight better. <laughs> like, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so that this shit doesn't usually work. This shit doesn't usually work. So it's just so surprising and uh, kind of exciting. The, the the community is their cash cow, so you got to feed and keep your cash cow uh, maintained and healthy and happy, for otherwise it ain't gonna give you milk. So I guess on those uh, <laughs> enlightening words, very philosophical words, uh, let's get back into this episode. Uh, moving forward with some of the electronic side of what Wasi wants to do, and then the tail end, you'll see. We'll talk about Magic the Gathering a little bit. Bye-bye. I mean, I can, I can tell you how. It's uh, the dip in Hasbro's uh, stocks overall. Uh, and Cynthia Williams, the CEO of, of WOTC, her direction. And Chris Kao, who is the VP of D&D Digital, his direction. Now, with the 1.1, 1 .1, uh, there has been some more leaked info from Wizards of the Coast employees. Uh, there's a, a excellent YouTube video that summarizes most of what I'm going to say uh, by a, D &D, a creator called D&D Shorts. Uh, you can look it up on, on YouTube. And uh, he is the one that he's spoken to these employees, extended talks with them. The validity of their employment has been verified from multiple sources. So it seems like he's done all his homework. Uh, before I know before he released that particular video that I'm talking about, he did uh, spread a bit of misinformation. He had some of his facts wrong. I, I, I'm not sure what that whole situation was. So that kind of disappointed a lot of, of his fans. But apparently he's a super nice dude and there was no malintent uh, on his part trying to do it. He thought he had information to share on his channel that is relevant to what he talks about. So he decided to do so. Anyways, this video, he's taken all the steps. In his video, actually, he, he had like a, a prepared script that he said he had viewed by lawyers, had been gone to the Watsi employees he spoke to, and like had all, everyone signing off on this thing. So it was very involved. And there's some really, he, he puts up some quotes from some of these employees at the end of that video and about the work environment and how they're being treated. And many of it mentioned Chris Kao in particular. And it's, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. I mean, they're, Clearly, the higher ups at Watsi, they don't, they see the consumers. I believe the quote was, "They're an obstacle to our money" or something like that. Like they're they're literally just an obstacle to profit. Wow, that's what wow. the consumer is being being viewed as. So Chris Kale, again, the VP of of D D and D Digital, he his thought is that the future of D and D is digital. The biggest threat to that, according to him, was D&D Beyond. Uh, Wizards of the Coast actually recently acquired D&D Beyond. 
which, uh, again, for those unfamiliar that may, maybe don't even play Dungeons & Dragons, D&D Beyond is literally just an online system where you, you can have access to all of the, the, the source material, like the player's handbook and your monster manual, all uh, adventure books, all of which you do need to purchase on that platform. So you need to purchase an electronic version of it. And you can, you know, you can create your character sheet and you can create homebrew items and homebrew creatures on there and you can share them with the community across it, right? So they have a bit of a vetting system. Like if you create a magic item and it is different enough from our, things that already exist, you can just share it out to the community if you want. And, and you can search and find other things that people have created and add them to your character sheet and all kinds of stuff, right? So it's a very handy tool. It also has like an, a built-in dice roller. So it's, it's, add, it's adding all your modifiers, Maddie, for you. Uh, so it, like, it, takes, it takes all the work. It takes all the math work, in quotes, the math work out of it, really. A very popular tool. Recently purchased by Watsy, though. The Wizards of the Coast, I believe, again, it was, I think it, they had a, a similar like, licensee agreement to the creators of D&D Beyond. Uh, but they've recently acquired, uh, I think that was in 2021, I want to say. And apparently KO just hated it. And he kind of had this mindset and pushed this mindset on those under him, this mission to destroy D&D Beyond, both before and after Wizards acquired it. Because he and a team, they've been developing their own VTT, a virtual tabletop system, which uh, I know for the Incursion Party, we, we use Roll20 as ours. Um, just a place where you can have a digital map, some tokens, you know, facilitate playing the game electronically like kind of his 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 vision is rather than having like a grid of board in front of you at the table kind of thing they're building this in the unreal engine so it's like this 3d like fully rendered 3d thing wow yeah it, it seems pretty intense uh the electronic route though of course allows them to better implement far more monetization avenues mm-hmm. adventure modules purchased um would not be compatible with D&D Beyond, only with this new VTT. So it would be com- something completely separate from D&D Beyond. They want, you know, monthly books to release rather than like quarterly books, customizable cosmetics for terrain, your character miniature, your, you know, your spells, your, your gear, microtransactions, baby, on top of a monthly subscription. The highest tier planned at $30 a month. Wow. That's insane. That becomes like a, what, $360 a year, you know, subscription to D&D? Like, that's that's just nuts. Right. That's such a cash grab. It is, yes. Uh, so OGL 1.2 tries to restrict development of all other, like, VTT animated content, like spell and attack effects, that kind of stuff, very explicitly. And that's also one thing, one major thing that people do not like about 1.2 because again it's incredibly clear that this is the vision the whole way and they're trying to drive and they believe under chris kale's direction that by doing this they can blow up the worth and the money that wizards brings in or sorry that dungeons and dragons specifically brings in so chris kale's experience comes from mmos and mobile games he believes that it's all the same shit, and he doesn't actually need to play D&D to know what its community wants, because purportedly he has played or does play very little of it. You sure know how to pick them, Watsy. <laughs> yeah, right? And 
In 2021, Wizards of the Coast made over a billion dollars. 950 million of that coming from tabletop sales. Uh, and I think the rest was like digital, or that's a mix of, of digital. They bring in, the, or that year, they brought in 70, I think it was 72% was the exact number, but 70% of Hasbro's operating profit. Despite that success, though, Hasbro on a whole has been in decline, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Wow. So there's like, so Cynthia Williams, the CEO, um, man, I should have wrote what it's called then, but it's like this, they have this modus operandi. It's like this something 2.0. And essentially it's, they want, they're going to just drop all of their weak IPs and blow up a few of the ones that are doing the best and just make them huge to bring in enormous profits. Cynthia Williams was quoted at the end of 2022 saying that D&D is under monetized. Uh, a statement in itself, which kind of blew up the community. Wow. In like, I think it was December or November. She wants B&D to bring in a billion dollars by itself. Currently, it makes $150 million a year. So that's, wow. the, that's the vision that they have. It sounds like Austin Powers 4 or something. Like, no, now we need $1 billion. <laughs> but, but it's like, where is that valuation coming from? You know... The, the thing about goals, and of course business is included, is goals need to be achievable. That's the A in, in goal when people talk about the acronym. Well, to go to your team and be like, yeah, we're $150 million now smoking it, but we need to get to a billion, which is almost like, you know, 10 times as much. I guess five times as much or something like that. But it's like, you know, it just seems like it's a goal that she pulled out of her ass, to be quite honest. And to say that D&D is under monetized, well, all I'd say to that is, are you someone who's seriously invested in it? Like whether you're buying, you know, fancy dye, all, you know, hardcover books, also investing in the online services. There's a lot of money pouring into this ostensibly pen and paper role-playing game. So yeah, what she's saying is just asinine. Yeah, it kind of boggles the mind. So the, the, I think the problem, I mean, the problem with, D&D's monetization is that, and I believe Matt Colville touched on this in Legal Eagles video, that say in a standard uh, playgroup of five people, one of which is the Dungeon Master, they're generally the, the person buying all of the books. So you have one in five people buying all of their all of the product. They want all five of those people to be spending the same amount of money. So when you say they could be making five times more, according to Cynthia Williams... That's the line of thinking. I guess that's where they're coming up with these figures. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But the thing is, they're also developing a, a Dungeons & Dragons video game. So they're they're like already moving down another electronic route to, to draw revenue in. So they want your normal at-the-table, in-person experience to also be a video game. But no, play our other video game too. Like, this is, this is the... I don't understand it. Oh, it's just they think they can milk that video game for every last dime. And they will. Like, everything's going to be monetized on the thing. So that's where we that's where we are today. Like, it just it used to be so simple. It was like, you know, buy the books like we did when we first played 4th edition. Buy some books. Buy, you know, the, the Dungeon Master Guide and whatnot. Um, and then make your story. And yeah, if you need to download a character sheet or something off Wizards, you know, go for it. But... You know, the money was just in the books and how much you wanted to invest in it. And it just was so much simpler. It's just annoying. It's annoying to hear what it's become. <laughs> uh, 
Well, uh, so according to, again, Chris Kao, uh, in his vision, apparently the physical books would be more of a uh, like a, a legendary item or like a, a collector's item rather than being something standard. Like, I mean, I got, you know, almost a dozen of 5e books on my shelf behind me here. Apparently, uh, on, in this new digital realm, <laughs> this new digital regime, that those would be rare items. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with with that. I don't know what they're doing with magic. Speaking of Magic the Gathering, uh, like you said, been going through some of the problems and complaints from the MTG community as well. Oh, like overprinting of cards, money grab set releases, way more releases than usual, very close together. So Cynthia Williams did make a statement responding to some of these criticisms which came about a month after the Bank of America downgraded Hasbro as a company to underperform from buy uh, after they had projected a potential 34% fall due to how the company is ruining Magic the Gathering. Wow. <laughs> Pretty significant. That's crazy. Pretty significant. But Williams said, Williams said that there's no evidence that MTG is being overprinted. Supply chain issues that everyone was dealing with had resulted in two set major set releases coming out at the same time in October of 2022. And once we got to 2023, the releases would return to normal, a major set every two months with some micro sets releasing in between. Also, they've recently raised some of the MTG booster prices, you know, due to cost of paper uh, rising and that their focus is player base growth. And that is how they're going to, continue to to make mtg as profitable as has been to bring in i mean they've been bringing in a ton of additional ip lord of the range doctor who transformers i mean honestly like it feels like you name it and you'd be able to find a magic card about it it's become the new hero scape right it kind of feels that way it's interesting i guess they're they just want to tap into some of these fan bases and 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 i hate it to be quite honest like um you know i'm I've been too old or I am too old and I've been too long into magic to accept where they're going. I mean, I got into magic about 2004, but for whatever reason, booster packs from sets that came out in like the early 2000s, even 1999, you could still find them at card stores. It wasn't that hard. So I got into a lot of cards that, you know, started getting into print, like maybe four, five, six years after the very beginning of the game. And that was before things like Planeswalkers and and um, I guess equipment was coming in, but uh, not things like uh, vehicles, which you could crew and all sorts of weird stuff. Now they're coming out with a card called Battle. It's a new type of card called Battle. I don't know what it does. Okay. But um, apparently there's one Battle card in the new set. But yeah, I, I, I don't like where it's going, where it's kind of you know, gone to these cool fantasy realms, like in the early 2000s, Ravnica, uh, the Halloween realm, Innistrad, I think it's called. I like those. And now it seems like they've just, like you said, they've just flipped the the script. And to just get random new people, they're going to make like Finding Nemo, Magic the Gathering or whatever. You know, whatever it takes to get them in. Yeah. Nemo, legend, fish, druid. (laughs) <laughs> well there's there's no uh uh there, there's definitely a shift in their focus towards the commander format too i mean there's just so much 
commander format. It's like every every commander format content, everything that gets developed seemingly uh, has commander in mind and how it will function in a commander deck. And I don't, I th- I don't think there's anything necessarily bad with that. Uh, I think that if you have designs uh, in mind so it fits every format, that's good. Because uh, I don't think that anything that would f- go in well in Commander wouldn't go well in other in like standard format. Like I, I, but I think it it's it works the opposite the other way, right? If you design for a standard format, it means potentially it it will not fu- it wouldn't be popular or good. Uh, or usable or viable in in commander so i don't know how much of that i don't know obviously i don't fucking design magic cards so and i also don't play commander but i watch a lot of commander content that's predominantly the mtg com uh content that i consume on on like youtube and stuff it's always about commander usually so it's usually so the current so the way i viewed this hobby has kind of changed i've actually i started playing magic gathering in 1994 uh very soon after uh, or, or, or shortly after it it was created essentially took some years off got back into it got out of it got back into it got back you know and <laughs> in and out of it a dozen times too so i don't know i've seen quite a bit of quite a bit of uh the hobby and and the game itself and how it's evolved uh and i would agree like you would think that they would be running out of design space but they seemingly come up with more and just different avenues to go to even some of that some of the mechanics are often like a retread on some old ones though with like a little tweaks here and there there's plenty of mechanics that they've dropped over the years right that you just don't see anymore maybe you'll see a resurgence of them like 10 years later or something like that but i think it's just it's the same thing that they want to keep they need to keep magic the gathering profitable i mean again watsi is a huge portion of hasbro and hasbro is a giant company they bring so much money in for Hasbro. I mean, Watsi tried to go independent a few years ago, then that got squashed. They didn't. They tried to separate from Hasbro. Hasbro would have died on the vine if they if they let that happen, right? Yeah. I wanted to bring one specific thing about Magic: The Gathering, though. Uh, they recently had a 30th anniversary edition. Oh my goodness! And so this was four 15 card booster packs from uh, the beta set, which you know is like the the first set that has come out. So it, it and it. From that set is where you see, like, all of the... When you think about Magic and you think about the crazy cards that are priced for tens of thousands of dollars, that's the set that those cards are coming from. The Black Lotus, um, the Power Nine, like, the Moxes, you know, uh, all that stuff. So you could buy a very limited, very limited supply. You could buy four 15-card booster packs, 60 cards... They have an alternate back, so they don't trample on the reserve list, which uh, means that they're not, they would not be tournament legal or commander legal. They are essentially proxies. That is what Wizards yes. of the Coast has printed in this. Proxies. They're, they sold it for $999. <laughs> I, I remember when I saw that and I thought it was a joke. I'm like, oh, whatever, what click, yeah. clickbait uh, title is that? And then uh, horrified horrified to discover it's 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 not a joke i it's insane they priced it way out of any standard player's price range intense limited quantities means you you would not be drafting it in stores or with friends new newer players of the hobby would not get to relive opening up beta packs and seeing these cards and seeing the the og artwork on them as well 
in those 60 cards, you would get four random rares. That's That's it. it. And again, they're proxies. They're proxies. They're proxies. You can't even use them anywhere. You have to check with your even your home group table like, "Hey, I I got these I got these sick anniversary edition cards. Can I use them?" Right? Cuz they're fucking proxies. It's it's insanity. It's fucking insanity. Wizards of the Coast sent one copy of the 30th anniversary box. One single box with four boosters in it to all of the Wizards Play Network stores, the WPN stores, and three of them to all of their premium WPN stores as a thank you to their hard work for fostering communities and growing the hobby. Every other sale for the anniversary product would need to be placed directly with Watsi on their website. Insanity. That is insane. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> Unnecessary. 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 So to put this in per- in perspective now obviously it's been like 20 plus years uh but in 1993 they put out like the original collector's edition which contained one card one of every card in the beta set and that was priced at 49.95 in 1993 you know all the original jewel lounge the power nine anime wall it was just one of every single set and now we get 60 random cards for a thousand dollars and obviously and again they're they're because they're proxies it doesn't have anything to do with the secondary market it's not going to be driving any of that prices down a secondary market that watsi literally has doesn't see any revenue from it has not doesn't give a shit about yeah you know i really would be interested in the sales numbers of those because if they actually sold decently then shame on the consumer to be quite honest to not yep. put together Agreed. how much wizards is purposefully just trying to milk them because you know, it's basically to the point where it's almost trolling. It's like, yeah, 60 little cardboard cards for $1,000. Who's going to pay up? And I don't know. Maybe people did. Maybe they didn't. I'm sure they sold a few to collectors that have to have everything. But still, you know, it's just, it's really weird. I almost want to declare them like the, the EA of the crazy about cardboard world. <laughs> Like if we were to do a yeah, they're getting there. Podcast Razzie, we would give them worst crazy craziest <laughs> about cardboard of the year award. Goes to <laughs> goes to Watsy. Man, I I don't. It's really it's really frustrating. I mean, obviously, I love both Magic and Dungeons and Dragons. Some of my favorite memories of spending times with friends like you and even anti listener. And of course, playing, you know, producing a, a, a D&D actual play with the Incursible Party. Like, those are like my cherished memories. It, literally, I get to we, spend time with my friends enjoying interesting hobbies and playing cool games. And there's always going to be that looming shadow of Watsi standing over you with their hand out, waiting for you to slap down another bill so you can keep playing. Yeah. Like, that's what it's starting to feel like, right? Yeah, well, what it feels like to me, in a way, is is a slot machine. It's just becoming something that's gambling, you know, because with how expensive packs are, like, if you don't get a good rare, what's it to you? For people that have been in the hobby for a few years, unless you're playing standard hardcore, most of the cards in a, in a booster pack are just going to be worthless to you. So, you know, if you're spending now, what, 12 bucks 14 bucks canadian per pack you know you you pull like viserdrix 2.0 like it's gonna be (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's only a five five instead of a six six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. for same amount of mana. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Well, nowadays nowadays Vizardrix like two would be like a nineteen nineteen worm with trample spacewalk <laughs> spacewalk. The power creep is real. <laughs> Rampage six. What what else can we throw on it? Banding. Yeah, it, Band- I mean, it would be an Eldrazi. Banding 11. Yeah, it would be an Eldrazi. <laughs> Banding. It would have Shadow. Yeah. You, you see. <laughs> it would have every bloody fucking mechanic under the sun. Tap to add one mana of any color. <laughs> After all of that. <laughs> After everything else. It just has this one little rule on the bottom. <laughs> That's what you would oh, use man, it for. It's, it's a glorified... Oh yeah, I would. I 100% a glorified birds of paradise. It's like a, just a bigger birds of paradise. <laughs> Leland, you Leland, you could have killed me five turns ago. Yeah, <laughs> but I have I, I have spells to play, Moby. I have to tell <laughs> spells to play. I'm trying to think of like what what's the worst spell, or yeah, I gotta play a healing solve on myself. I don't want him to take three damage this turn. <laughs> oh okay now we're, we're now we're getting sidetracked here but those are good memories of wizards and it's not going to need like you know these all these newfangled cards and power creep and and like oh. it's interesting we're having this discussion because as soon as we're done recording i have it queued up um there's a guy watching i'll give him a, a plug needs hone um i've talked to him about being on the show at some point and I hope schedules align, but uh, he, yeah, he's he's doing his set review, which he always does, and I'm I'm interested to see what they do there because it's so obvious which are like the eight choice rares for a set, and it's like everything else is secondary. You might find some things that are decent, but like it, it's just like five to eight cards that you're chasing, and they're so overpowered nowadays. I, I yeah, that just doesn't understand what is driving people to buy boosters outside of drafting. Like, do people actually buy, oh, yeah, I'll take a couple booster packs to see what I get in them, like, when they go to a store to play? Like, I don't think there's a reason anymore. That's how, I mean, when I was, obviously, when I was in my teens and playing, that's how I purchased cards, obviously. I, you know, I wonder, maybe it would be interesting looking in, the development of the secondary market. I don't, like, I don't know when, like, when did that, like, become a thing, like, I wonder. Because obviously stores have always offered singles and stuff, right? Right. But, I mean, eBay has been around forever. Have people just be eBaying set, like, you know, card sets, like, forever? Uh, possibly. I know I was eBaying for cards as early as 2005. I think the first transaction I did was actually selling. I wasn't buying. I Whatever 9th edition was, it was day one of 9th edition, I put my listing up because I pulled a foil hypnotic specter and I really felt that, I mean, corset nine was overall pretty weak, but that a hypnotic specter had a really cool new design, um, for that year, uh, that it would, uh, it would fetch a lot of money. And it did. I sold it for like 120 bucks. Just one. I miss those corsets, man. I do. You know, they were fun because they're just so simple. Like, if you're teaching, say we ever taught Ghost Marty how to play, you know, Corset is just so good in doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just pretty shitty because, like, all you... You can just totally tell all around Wizards Watsy. They don't... Uh, 
They don't care about their employees. They don't care about the customers. Like you said, they're just trying to get from point A to point B to get the money. It's as if your money is theirs all along. They just want to take it from you in the easiest way. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, it completely makes sense that they want and and need to tap into the digital space. I just, the aggressiveness of it, like, just boggles my mind. The direction that they're letting it take uh, as, as, as far as the, the D&D stuff. I think, like, online magic makes a lot of sense. I think for magic, like, arena or something, if you play arena, like, I think there's a lot less, I mean, it's far less barrier to entry for somebody to get into playing the game, right? So I think that's really, I think that's a good thing, obviously, for, for, for the hobby. I don't think that having a $30 a month subscription service for a VTT, of which you are just slapped in the face with microtransaction after transaction to be able to actually get through an adventure module for five people. Like that's, that's not feasible. How, how do they, they, so what they're expecting is the current consumer base for Dungeons and Dragons to shift entirely to this new digital system. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Like you can't shut down roll 20. You can't shut down like shard. I don't understand how they possibly think that that's going to happen or how incorporating any of that into a new OGL is going to help funnel people into it. It makes zero sense. Well, as you said at the very beginning of, of this, you know, it sounds like there's people involved that don't know the game. Then they must not know the fans. They don't know what's going on. And, and it's arrogance at the end of the day. It's, oh, we want this to become all digital so we make more money and that's what we're going to push for. And they're going to find that the community pushes back. It's like, no. It's not what we want. We're not going to be forced on digital paying between, you know, 15 and 30 bucks a month on an endless subscription. No. Like, D&D, pen and paper role-playing game. There will always be a niche and a place for physicality for that game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, an argument, I suppose, is like, if you don't like it, then you don't need to partake in it. And like everybody that, I mean, I will always have those fifth edition books. Same with people from older, like they they will always have their like second edition or their advanced D&D books, and they will always be able to play those with their group that prefers them. Uh, but there's more to it than just being satisfied with what you had before. I think when you're passionate about something and you invest a lot of your time and your energy into something, like you have a right to be outraged at a direction that it may take, uh, especially if it if it's a a, a parasitic, you know, actions and, and, and direction. Nobody agrees with microtransactions, right? Like nobody likes them. Uh, I mean, definitely there are implementations of them that are tolerable but by all accounts this new vtt from from watsi sounds like you will not be able to play the game unless you partake in them yeah which doesn't make any sense to me like god knows how limited you're even the the lowest subscription tier of it i don't know what that would it would or might be as far as money goes i don't know but i can only imagine that a tiered system is going to have a lot of paywalls that's how tiered systems work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would have to have major paywalls or else there's no 
impetus to pay up to the next levels. And especially just seeing who's in charge right now. Yeah, it's going to have some some big paywalls. I mean, where this goes, money talks. Um, it's good to hear that people are canceling their subscriptions. Um, but people are really going to need to put the pressure on and for the long term until WotC basically realizes they're going to lose this huge chunk of their business. Stock is going to crash unless they do what they should be doing all along, which is give the fans what they want. Just give give your customers what what they want. The amount of times people that sell stuff, companies that sell stuff, treat their customers with contempt nowadays just really shocks me on a whole. It's um, it's just getting really disturbing for someone that's in business and went to business school like myself to see where this is because I still was educated in the time that, you know, the customer is always right. Well, is the customer always right? No, but like, unless it's like a case of like a crime being committed or safety, you have to treat your customers with respect. And nowadays it's more and more common, unfortunately, that uh, companies just talk down to their customers and just don't treat them well. Yeah, there's like the an arrogance and a, a entitlement. Uh, it just becomes it's just finally it's like are we finally just seeing the mask of friendly consumerism just dropping from a company like Wizards of the Coast now? Like <laughs> that's what it feels like, anyways. You know, it's like we're finally we're just seeing them without their makeup on. You know, essentially, right? Yeah. Like that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree. I mean, I think that's why when you even look at Magic, why do we have so many set releases per year? Like, what do they release? Like, three sets a year? Six sets a year something at this point? Every couple months? Like, that's a ton. You know, you could probably cut that in half easy. But again, it's about the money. It's about uh, selling volume, I guess. But it's at, it's at the cost to the game. You know, I'm going to boot up that magic set uh, preview in a few minutes here, and I guarantee you 80% of what I see is going to be shit. And I'm, in a meta way, I'm going to be watching it thinking that a few minutes ago I said 80% of these are going to be shit. <laughs> Inception oh, starring movie. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm out of things to say about this. I like <laughs> Well, me too, because I, I think we're both agreed on it. And I think the history that you've laid out just kind of really speaks for itself. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you know, if you want to debate us, absolutely. We'd, we'd love to hear from someone that's not a scam bot on Facebook. So please, uh, please send us a comment <laughs> or a message. We'd love to discuss. But uh, yeah, hit, hit us with the end of show stuff. That was fun. All right, end of show stuff. Our website, ttpopcast.com, the T-Hud Popcast on Facebook, TT Popcast on Instagram. I'm Leland Steele. And I've been moving. On Twitter. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I got I, you paused. Yeah, you paused for so long. I'm like, okay. I know, I know. I, I completely. <laughs> All right, say your shit. I'm Leland underscore Steele on Twitter. And that's who I've been. And I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye.